Welcome to the Fantasy Sports Podcast. This is your host, Jay Dub. I have a special show. This is a two-part series. This show is the first part with a special guest, former coach of mine, a father of a close friend, a mentor and educator of many, Richard Weaver. You know, life flies by. You know, we find a career path, we get married, have kids. Before long, we're knee-deep into responsibility. We don't often take enough time to reflect on the path traveled, think about those people who helped shape us into who we are today and appreciate them. Our parents all have a special, you know, obvious place in our journey, but it's the teachers who often are overlooked. And in my personal case, I was fortunate to grow up in an incredible place in time, uh, Palo Alto, California in the early 1980s. I played on a, a basketball team that reached the ultimate goal, undefeated state championship in 1993. But it wasn't the winning that made it special. It was the men who imparted their experience and wisdom to us, the group, a team. And this two-part series, first part is an interview with our coach. And the second part is little vignettes of a good number of the folks on the team uh, who gathered for a reunion a month or so back. And it's an interesting reflection just on, on the memories of the experience. And, it, and I think what you'll find is it's less about the winning uh, it's more about the moment and the camaraderie and the experience and how that's imparted on all of us. And I think led led really remarkably to many of us being successful and successful not necessarily in a financial sense, although some of the team members have been successful in that regard. But I think it's more about successful in just terms of being content, striving, ambition. You know, remarkably, most of them have had consistent careers. We've all achieved different things in, from an academic success. And I, I think that's what is really interesting. But this first one is really, you know, our head coach, John Barrett, was a flexion of the team, no nonsense, kind of hardworking, relentless, focused, driven. He passed away, unfortunately, of, of cancer in the late 1990s. But our assistant coach, Richard Weaver, who was the father of, of one of our, our star players, was a definition of consistency, wisdom, and had this quiet confidence about him and still does. And I was fortunate to have an opportunity to sit down with who we, I always referred to as Mr. Weaver to hear his reflections 25 years later on what that experience meant to him, some of the backstories, and ultimately thank him for being himself and contributing what he did. So here we go with that. I'm looking forward to sharing this with all of you. Hope you enjoyed it on the flip side. Okay, I'm excited to have uh, Richard Weaver here. I will always know him as Mr. Weaver. Mr. Weaver was one of our assistant coaches and was a presence in my basketball career um, those three years at, at Palo Alto High School every day. So happy to have you here. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So um, I'm going to ask a couple of stock questions, which I asked everybody that has spoken so far. And then I'd love to get into a little bit more of the dynamics of kind of your role and your relationship with Coach Barrett and just sort of like those things. But I'll start off with what's your fondest kind of like first memory of that experience? The team and the spirit of the guys, their friendships, their willingness to sacrifice individual honors for the good of the team, and the fact that they truly loved each other and cared for each other and wanted each other to succeed. It's profound. It was an interesting experience. When you think about the lessons you imparted or the things you learned from that that you've taken in your career or in your life since then, what, what are some of those things? The value of teamwork, uh, the value of 
being able to sublimate your own desires for the good of a team, the ability to, to sacrifice, to put in hard work, and then to be able to see the results of that hard work come to fruition in, uh, well, in this case, in 31 wins. Yeah. So that's a good segue. When I think about you and your role, like I would say that you're one, uh, you and Coach Barrett were two of the core factors of instilling those values, instilling the discipline, the hard work, and ultimately making some of the experience fun as well, right? We all enjoyed it, and I think we came together. So when you think, like, how, how did you bring that to bear? I've always loved basketball, played it in high school, played it in college. And when it became clear that uh, Dave and his friends enjoyed the game and wanted to play it, I wanted to do whatever I could to help them to learn how to play it the way I thought was the right way. And so I found joy in helping them find joy in playing the game and in so doing, playing it the right way by being willing to pass to a teammate for a better shot, by being willing to give up a shot in order to be able to create a better shot for a teammate later on, to be able to understand the importance of developing the skill levels at the basics, dribbling, passing, playing defense, the proper stance, the willingness to work hard to develop all of those kinds of skills and the ability to have fun practicing them. And so one of the challenges that I felt when I was in a coaching position was to make drills fun and to to make it as if it wasn't rote, but it really was because muscle memory ultimately is going to take over when one is very tired And when one is exhausted from exerting so much energy by the end of the game, so having fun in practice and making drills fun were important to me. Yeah, and it came out, and actually, as we were talking to a bunch of the other players, that was sort of a common theme, was practice was fun, we wanted to be there. And I think this was, by the way, this was even before the 31 or no, you know, I think even in like my sophomore year, when Dave, your son, was not on the team because he was on the varsity squad, but most of the core group that eventually became kind of the team that had the success when we were seniors. But that was fun, right? We when I was thinking it was the drills and the camaraderie. When you think about the experience, or I guess let's go back to this. There was a, sort of a big jump. I think the team was really good our junior year. And there was a, a moment where I think we probably felt like we should have won the game we lost that knocked us out of the playoffs against a team called Seaside in the CCS playoffs. But it felt like the team was different, was a little bit more supercharged. We weren't confident. We were confident, but we weren't cocky. But there was an element of just like pushing harder and we got more aggressive in terms of running the ball, pushing the ball. Was there a conscious conversation that happened between you and Coach Barrett? Or was it like, these guys are ready and they can go? Like, what was the change from your standpoint? What was the change that happened between that junior and senior year? I think there were a couple of things. One is that during that summer, a number of the guys on that team traveled to a couple of different tournaments and played against competition that turned out to be 
literally otherworldly in terms of athletic ability and so forth. And we played in a tournament in Long Beach against a team called New York Riverside that wound up having some future All-Americans on it. And at the end of the first quarter, we were down by 20. And at the end of the game, we were down by 15 or something along those lines. And the guys figured out that if they played their game, the sharing the ball, the, the hard work on defense, the passing, the being willing to make the, make the extra move, the extra pass, they could play with these guys who had perhaps physically more athletic ability, but playing as a team could counteract some of that extra athletic ability. And that's not to say that the Palo Alto guys weren't athletic. They were. But I think that that summer was a time of gaining confidence, playing against competition that really was the, the top in the country, and being able to play with them, not necessarily beat them, but play with them by playing the game that they had learned to play beginning in elementary school and through junior high and into high school. So the confidence that they gained that summer, I think, helped them being willing to push the ball harder. And I think Coach Barrett was willing to allow them to push the ball more and to take more chances because he saw the same things just in terms of their confidence level. Plus, and, and the second thing, was that they were a year stronger. You guys had grown physically, you had developed physically, and you had the strength of 17 and 18-year-olds as opposed to 15 and 16-year-olds. Yeah. And that made a difference. It's a sort of parallel, too, I think, to the, the actual state championship game where we played a team called Morningside who had several Division One full rides, had won the year before, and that team was physically and athletically very, very good. But it was a contrast, right? You had a, a group of people who had been together for a while, really knew how to play basketball, and they had the team and all the other things we talked about. But is there similarities between that and the New York Riverside kind of thing that happened this summer that maybe helped when we got into that situation in the championship game? I think there's no question about it. In watching that state championship game, I never felt as though the Palo Alto team was intimidated in any way by the Morningside team. And uh, it was simply a quiet confidence that the entire team had gained from playing together and from working hard together and from understanding the game. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they were a bunch of street ballers. <laughs> and they were good, but yes. you, you, know, you could tell they weren't moving the ball. They weren't trying to get great shots. They were trying to get, you know, kind of one off. In fact, I remember one of their players doing a step back NBA three at some point in the game, an air ball that and I think he might have been their best player, Stace Bozeman. And that's when I sort of realized I'm like, oh, they're, this is just, they're just kind of out there playing. You know, they're not here to win this game. So they, they, the Morningside team players, were used to winning. Yeah. They were used to being physically um, better than their opponents. And I think they came into that game expecting to win and were really surprised to come up against a team that wasn't intimidated and that played the game the right way. Not that they didn't play the game the right way, but that played the game, let's say, a different way. Yeah. And uh, uh, Morningside liked to rely on the fast break. 
Palo Alto liked to rely on the fast break. And Palo Alto, the fast break was a team-oriented fast break with uh, three-on-twos, two-on-ones, distributing the ball to whoever had the best angle and the best opportunity to make the layup. Yeah. And... uh, yeah, it was, it, you know, I, you sort of, I personally, a little bit lost. I remember it was spectacular and enjoyed it. But then it was actually at Dave's bachelor party a while back where Mark brought the tapes and we watched some of the film. And it was remarkable, the the ball movement. It was, you know, sort of, do you feel it was ahead of its time in some ways? Yes, I do. And it's probably a little bit arrogant to say but I feel that the 93, the 92, 93 Pally team presaged the Warriors just in terms of their willingness to share the ball. Now, that's not to say that anybody on the Pally team was, was as good as any of the Warriors. Well, it's high school to, call, to pro. High, high yeah. school to pro, but, yeah. but yes, uh, the ball movement was similar. Um, in some ways, I mean, we, I was, we were watching game tape and there was like sequence, there was a bunch of sequences where the ball didn't hit the ground. It was a layup. I'm like, that's, that's right. Crazy. And then I, what I remember from practice and games that I actually sort of lost a little bit was like how many great three-point shooters we had and how many three-pointers we took in an era where three-pointers were still kind of like, you know, something you did yes. a little bit, but it wasn't, you didn't rely on it. Yes, um, exactly. The advanced analytics on that team, and quite frankly, Mark Thompson, I, I, mm-hmm. I will go to my grave with this, mm-hmm. is he probably shot too little given his true shooting percentage was yes. off the charts. So Yes, well, Coach Montgomery at Stanford has said to me and to others that uh, Mark Thompson was the best pure shooter he's ever seen. Yeah. And so that's high praise from somebody who is a successful yeah. successful coach. Back to the passing just for, for a minute. Yeah, uh, I had the opportunity to come into contact with Coach Pete Newell Jr., who had been the Santa Cruz coach when we played Santa Cruz and then continued to be the Santa Cruz high coach into the early 2000s and ultimately won a state championship with Santa Cruz. And a couple of years ago, he was at a game that I was at, and we visited, and he said, I still remember that Palo Alto 93 team. In all of my years of coaching at all levels, I have never seen a team that passed better than that team did. Yeah. And that is high praise from somebody who has spent his life in basketball. Yeah, that's cool. So I want to I want to kind of segue into the coaching relationship. You yes. know, you at you and Coach Barrett. Um, what was the dynamic there? I started teaching at Menlo Atherton High School in 1966, and Coach Barrett was the Froshoff coach. Oh wow, I didn't know that connection. And then he became ultimately the varsity coach, and I became the junior varsity coach. And so I worked with him at Menlo Atherton just for a couple of years. Um, He had some success going to various tournaments, going to various championships, but never won the big game at Menlo Atherton. Then for a number of different reasons, he retired from teaching, went up to Miwok Village in the Sierra Foothills, and I lost contact with him until I read in, I think it was the mid-80s, mid-1980s, that he was the basketball coach at Palo Alto High School. So I reconnected with him at that point just to say hello, Um, not knowing that he would continue to coach there, not knowing that he would ultimately be uh, Dave's coach, but uh, 
we had had a, a longstanding relationship, and so that's that's how I knew him. And how was the relationship? Like Dave gets there, Dave plays on his team for four straight years, and then you were heavily involved as a, as an assistant. Like, how did all that? What was that dynamic? What happened was that I had I had coached, I believe it was Dave's eighth grade team, and that eighth grade team I think played thirty five games, won thirty two or thirty three of them, and did extremely well. And then, of course, it was the JLS team that. Uh, that got split between Gunn and uh, Pally. But I was disappointed in the Frosh Soft team at Pally because I knew that the talent level was there. But Coach Barrett was uh, coaching both the Frosh Soft team and the varsity team and uh, doing so by himself. And so at the end of uh, Dave's freshman year, I went to him and I said, I know you don't like assistance, You've never liked assistance. I don't want to be your assistant, but do you think that there is a role that I might be able to play just in helping alleviate the burden, uh, say with the Frost Soft team, and just be a presence, a second presence to help you so that you will be able to not be spread so thin? And he said, I'm going to have to think about that. And so he did. And maybe a week or so later, he contacted me and said, okay, uh, based on what you've told me, I'm happy to have you. And so I became an unpaid, unofficial assistant with the Frost Soft team. And so um, that was Dave's sophomore year, I think. And so uh, that was your sophomore year. That was my sophomore year, yeah. And uh, several of the sophomores played on the varsity team that year. And the Frost Soft team still won the league championship. And that, in my mind, said, we've got some very talented young men here at this school, and the future is bright for Palo Alto basketball. And so Coach Barrett said that he was happy to have me continue as his Frostoff assistant. And so I did so for the rest of his time as the varsity coach. I don't remember going to many varsity practices I remember talking with him a little bit about varsity strategy, but not very much. And I also remember saying to him that uh, the varsity was his team, and I felt that uh, he was doing a really good job with it, and that uh, I didn't want to, um, what is the term? I, I In, Infringe or? Uh, well, it was, I, I didn't want to mess with something that was successful. Yeah. Um, and not that me being involved would have made it any more successful because I don't think that's true. John had a, a really good system. And once the team members figured out what his system was and how it worked, they were able to make it work better than I think he even imagined that it could. Yeah. That's fascinating. I, you know, it's, I, I remember you being at all the practices. So <laughs> tells you how much I was paid attention. Uh, I, I uh, was at all of the Frost Soft practices. Well, definitely Frost Soft. <laughs> but I just remember, you know, what was great about the interaction was I felt like you were always there at the beginning of practice, getting yes. the place set up. Yes. And you always were present. You were always somebody who you wouldn't come in and be like, "Hey, you should be running this offense," but you would come to me personally and be like, "Hey, go straight up. You know, go strong. Yes. Do this. Do yes. that." You were giving little tidbits of knowledge to correct behaviors that you knew would make someone better. Yes. And um, and that's why I take with, you know, I actually think about that in my life as I build teams and 
But I felt like you guys had a really good balance there. So it's interesting. I didn't realize yeah. you weren't even part of the varsity team. Um, you were just focused on the frosh soft, but you were you were present. I, I was present. Yeah. Yes, and uh, not at every practice, but uh, as you said, because the practices transitioned from one to the other, it would be very easy for me to be there for part of the practice, cleaning up after the frosh soft, or sweeping the floor, or getting equipment moved and and changed and all of that sort of thing. But you also had a really strong presence. I mean, like in the summer tournaments, but yes. when Barrett wasn't the one leading those tournaments. Yes, yes. Right, so like, yes. so I mean, that, I think that's an understated part of it. It was like, you were a core present. You were, you were present, and in fact, that's why I came up with some of the other players, from early age, for most of the people through the high school years. Yes. And obviously in the summer and, and kind of, you know, yes, from the, an educational teaching standpoint. Yes. We spent a lot of time together in the summer. I conducted off-season workouts yep. and uh, drills and all of those kinds of things. And then, of course, the the summer leagues and the tournaments. Yeah, like and, Onetta Harris. That was you. Yes, that was me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's why it's, yes. for me, it's confusing. Yes. Um, and how, you know, I think a lot of us, obviously Barrett's been unfortunately passed uh, yes. a while back. How was he as a coach from your standpoint, like in a, from a relationship standpoint, since you had so much history with him? He was extremely well organized. He was more flexible than I think he let his players know that he was. Yeah. His hero was Pavlov's dog because Pavlov's dog would do the right thing every time because he had been trained to do the right thing every time. Did he actually say that? He did. He would say that that's, that's awesome. Yes, yes. <laughs> he, whenever anybody asked him who his hero was, his hero was Pavlov's dog. Yeah, that's and, and then beyond that, what I loved about John was his dry humor and his ability to get the kids, to get the kids, to get the players to be motivated to play well, and to understand the counters that were involved in this sophisticated offense. Okay, so the defense overplays you on your first move. How do you counter that? And he had counters for counters for counters. And by the time you all were seniors, you understood those things, and you did them. And as I watched the tapes of the games from time to time, over the 25 or so years since that season, I'm completely flabbergasted and amazed at the sophistication that you all as players showed running this offense because of your ability to understand when a counter was called for and when a counter-counter was called for. And you executed. Yeah. And, uh, it's funny, I'm coaching my son's fifth grade team and I'm trying to institute or implement a flex offense. Yes. Um, and I think as a base offense, it is really simple. But to your point, the counters and counters, those are the things that really separate from, you know, an organization that can get something done to like poetry on on the court. Exactly. Yes. Um, and it's really hard with 10-year-olds. And I, I scratch my head. I'm like, how do they not know this? But I, I think I do think there is probably an advantage having this consistent offense from freshman year through senior year yes. that, that Barrett had as the kind of JV or the Frostoff and varsity coach. There's no question about it because as the players move from the Frostoff to the varsity, they move seamlessly because the offense was the same. Yeah. And uh, 
the, the terminology was the same and the result turned out to be the same. Yeah. So you had an incredibly long and amazing career teaching at Menlo Atherton High School. Um, and I often come across people my age, young, actually older, younger, and I'm always throwing out your name and they always light up when they hear the name, right? Everyone who took one of your classes loved you. And knowing your basketball background, seeing you as a coach and being around you, how come you never took the plunge of going to run a team yourself? I had the opportunities to do so, but I was committed to the classroom and to excellence, academic excellence in my students in the classroom. And to be able to coach a team at the level that I knew was necessary for success, I felt that I would have to compromise the academics in the classroom. And so I didn't want to do that. And I, I enjoyed being an assistant. I enjoyed the being in the background and being able to work with people individually, being able to work as an assistant, make observations to Coach Barrett and uh, make suggestions, some of which he said yes to, some of which he said no to, which is absolutely the right thing. And uh, so it's the commitment to academic excellence and the fact that I would have had to have compromised that to take over and run a varsity basketball program. I had the opportunity at both Palo Alto and at Menlo Atherton to do so. And looking back, I have no regrets on the decision that I made. Yeah. Well, and I can tell you the people that I've come across who were fortunate to have you as a teacher, they would all would second that. You know, I think it's, it is pretty amazing. Like your name comes up. I live in Menlo Park. So the name comes up, anyone who grew up there and universally. And it's a credit to everything you've done. And I think one of the things that's been interesting for me as I reflect on kind of where I am in my life and the things I've accomplished in the journey, like it does come back to, and to me, it's not even the success, it's the consistency, the leadership, the values that you, Coach Barrett, instilled in us. And so yes. for that, I say thank you. Well, it, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Having had the opportunity to be around such phenomenally gifted, talented, and wonderfully high character people has been a real blessing in my life and one that I would not trade for anything. And I just am so thankful and feel so blessed to have had a long career and uh, the opportunity to interact with so many people who at one point were students, but who now I can call friends. Yeah. And, uh, so how long was the career at MA? You said 68 you started? I, I, I taught for 43 years before I retired. Okay, that's amazing. Both my grandparents were lifelong high school teachers. One yes. with biology, another one with home ec. Yes. And uh, it is amazing going back to that community and, and seeing the impact you have. Like teacher, people just don't realize how much educators have an impact on people's lives going forward. So, well, Mr. Weaver, thank you very much for doing this. It's been great chatting with well, you. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure being with you, Josh. Yeah. Thank you. Have a good holiday. You too. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed that. And just, you know, closing remarks here. Gordon Thompson is another contributor to this, another father of a team member, Mark, who you'll hear on the part two. And countless others contributed to the core, you know, of having this decade of, of hoops chemistry classes, as I called them, under our belt. 
What I remember is the character that shaped all of us in Mr. Reaver, Richard Reaver was the core of that. They taught us an enjoyment of practice, the grind, loyalty, thankfulness of being part of this team and this journey. I don't think my feelings for this team would be any different if we'd been 29, even maybe potentially nine and 20. I know I am a better person, not for winning, but learning dedication, teamwork, camaraderie, and having fun together. These have been grinding principles for my life. They're guiding principles for my career and everything I impart. I try to be an educator each and every day. Um, and I thank them. I thank everybody who's part of this. I'm a better and happier person for knowing each of you. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode and look forward to part two coming shortly. Bye.